Hello, listeners. My name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. As all of you know, December 25th is Christmas. When I was young, I did not know the real meaning of Christmas and just thought that it was a day when I received a present in my stocking. I knew that Santa Claus brought presents only to those children who were good. So around Christmas time, I made sure to help my mother around the house. I also made sure to go to church with one of my friends around Christmas time to receive the pastries and presents that they handed out to all the children. As I became older, at an age when I no longer believed that Santa Claus put the presents in my stockings, Christmas just became a day off from school or work to have fun with my friends all day. After having Jesus in my life, I felt sorry that Jesus was not the focus during all those past Christmases that I spent without knowing the real meaning of the day. That is why I choose to spend my future Christmases in a meaningful way. But as I studied about the real meaning of Christmas, there were a few questions that came to my mind. As many of you already know, the day that Jesus Christ was born was not actually on December 25th. Then why is December 25th when we celebrate Christmas? We will continue this discussion after this song. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful Yeah. 
Christmas is the day that we celebrate the birth of our Jesus Christ. But when you read through the Bible, there is no evidence of the exact day that Jesus was born. There is no place in the Bible that states exactly which day Jesus was born. Then how did December 25th become the day that Jesus was born? What event and moment caused people to celebrate Jesus' birthday on this particular day? First, many scholars believe that Jesus was not born on a cold December day. During the Roman times when Mary, while betrothed to Joseph, conceived Jesus through the Holy Spirit, Rome had passed a royal order. They required all the people to register their name according to the names of their house. Because of this order, Mary, at the end of her pregnancy, traveled with Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where Joseph was required to register. That is how Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem. In Luke chapter 2, shepherds who are watching over their sheep are introduced. During the winter season in Israel, the temperature during the day is warm, but at night it gets to be really cold. The sheep are not able to sleep outside in the fields during the winter nights because of this cold. That is why the scholars believe that Jesus was born around the month of either September or October. Then how did Jesus' birthday become the exact date of December 25th? When you study the origin, you end up going back to the Babylonian era. There may be some of you that have heard of the Day of the Sun. During the Babylonian era, Rome, Egypt, and many other nations worshipped other gods. Wikipedia tells us that December 25th was chosen as the Day of the Sun because it is the day after the shortest day of the sun. And as the length of sunlight during the day increases, the length of darkness decreases, and everything will be revived through light. This is why December 25th was chosen as the date to celebrate the Day of the Sun. During the times of the first Christian emperor, Pope Julius I officially declared that the birth of Jesus would be celebrated on the 25th of December. The day of worshiping heresy had changed to the day of celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. December 25th was no longer a day to remember the day of the sun, but it was a day to remember our true light, Jesus Christ and his birth. After this change, Christmas was celebrated in many nations but continues to change as it is celebrated a little bit differently according to each nation's heritage. Even though the way Christmas is being celebrated is changing with the times, we as Christians must remember and meditate on the birth and death of Jesus Christ and the reason that He came into this world.
Coming up next is sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Heaven's View of Christmas based on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. John chapter 1, as we see the nativity, the birth of our Lord from heaven's viewpoint. The other Gospels describe Jesus' birth from a human viewpoint, from an earthly viewpoint. John describes it from God's viewpoint. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before Me. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace heaped upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. What a passage. What a view. What a statement of who this gift in the manger is. This is not just a human being. This is not just an exalted being who's come to earth. This is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's no way around it. This is the One whom Isaiah the prophet said would be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We celebrate the birth of Jesus because this is the birth of God in the flesh. An incredible, incredible thought that God would come. Why did He come in the flesh? It was because you have to have a body in order to offer yourself as a sacrifice. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come because He thought it would be fun. He didn't come to earth because he thought it would be sort of, well, a neat diversion from divinity, you know, to come and become human and to take upon himself the limitations of humanity. He came in order that he might have something to offer on the altar. He came in order that he might have something to hang on the cross. He came in order that God might be so united to man that God could take the place of man and that God could die for man, as man. It's an incredible thought. 1 Corinthians says that the first man, Adam, became a living soul. But the last Adam... Jesus Christ became a life-giving Spirit. The parallels between the life of Jesus, the life of Adam, are so interesting. It was at a tree that man lost his salvation. Man lost eternal life. Man lost fellowship with God. It's at the tree called the cross that all of that is gained. Salvation, eternal life, fellowship with God. It was in a garden that Adam fell into sin. It was in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus won the battle and He surrendered and He said, Father, 
if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. The result of the curse upon man was sweating now, sweating great drops of blood, and thorns and thistles would grow from the ground. And boy, don't they grow easier than anything? You don't have to do anything, and that stuff springs up now. That's part of the curse. But as a result of Jesus' obedience, Jesus wore the thorns of the curse. He was crowned with thorns. He sweat, sweat's part of the curse, he sweat great drops of blood. God promised that a Messiah, a Savior would come who would meet our needs, who would satisfy the hunger in our souls. And so the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. Lechem means bread. Beth means house. He was born where? The house of bread. The one born in the house of bread would say someday, I am the bread of life. The one who eats and fellowships on me will never perish. Significant. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The One who came is the One who created it all. All things came into being. Verse 3 says, By Him and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Keep a marker here in John and go to the right to the book of Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 16 says, Speaking of Jesus, the Creator, chapter 116 of the book of Colossians says, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by Him and for Him. And He, Jesus, is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. Does He have that place in your life, believer? Does Jesus have first place in every area of your life? Is He the one you seek to please? Is He the one you desire to obey? Is the, He the one whose interests interest you? He wants to have first place in everything, in every place. And you wonder why things might be falling apart for you. It says in Him all things hold together. And your life is never going to be together until you get it together with the Lord. It says in verse 17, He's before all things and in Him all things hold together. Now, this is a cosmic statement He's making. He's saying the entire, the glue of the universe is not atomic. It's, it's messianic. It's Jesus. It's Christ. He's holding it all together. But if you just come down from the universe and you scope it down to where you're sitting right now, if things are falling apart, perhaps it's because you don't know Him. Perhaps it's because you've moved out of, the, out of His sphere of blessing as a Christian. He's the only thing that's going to hold you together. He's the only, thing that's, only one who's going to hold a marriage together. He's the only one who's going to hold a re relationship together. He's the only one that can do that in your life. He's before all things. In Him, all things hold together. He wants to have first place in everything. That's what it means to be king. That's what it means to be God. To worship means you give Him that worth. It doesn't mean you nod your head weakly. It doesn't mean that you come and once in a while you acknowledge or you confess, yeah, Jesus is God. It means you really worship Him. You live for Him. Your life is for Him. Not for anyone else. He's king. Back in John chapter 1, we get heaven's view. It says, in Him was life. Verse 4, and the life was the light of men. The people who have sat in darkness, the prophet predicted, would see a great light. 
speaking primarily of Gentiles, those who were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. It's strange now how things have reversed, how the light came to Israel. Israel rejected the light. The light has gone to the Gentiles. And now there is a great light in the Gentile world, but in the Jewish world there is a darkness. It says in verse 11, he came to his own, his own people, and those who were his own did not receive him. Have you ever been rejected by your people? Ever been rejected by a close relative, a once dear friend? Ever experienced that? He came unto his own, his own received him not. The Bible said that he would come, he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He would know what it meant to be despised and rejected of men. That makes him a faithful and compassionate priest. He's able to minister to you right now from his position in heaven, living for you, praying for you, because he knows what it's like to live the way you do. No one understands like Jesus understands. In him was life. We're not talking about existing. A lot of people today are existing. They are breathing. They are eating. They are sleeping. They are working. But their life has no eternal meaning. Their life will end and they will go forever to hell separated from God. But in Him is life. And the Bible says that if we have come into Him, if we have accepted Him, then we have that life of the ages, a life that will never end. And suddenly, this mundane existence, suddenly it has an eternal value now. Suddenly, we are beings, we are people, we are men and women, boys, girls, who are going to live forever with God in heaven. The Scripture says, in verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It isn't true that everyone's a child of God. You hear people talking like that. Remember hands across America? Remember that? Remember singing the Coca-Cola song together? Da 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 You know, it's like we're one big family. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. The Bible says that only those that receive Christ have the right to be called the children of God. It isn't right to say everyone's a child of God. And that's what you hear. No, we're not all children of God. The only way that you can become a child of God, verse 12 says, is to receive Him. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of who? God. Jesus would say in John chapter 3, Verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You see, we're all born into sin. We're all born as sinners. We are all, when's the last time that you had to teach a child to lie? When's the last time you had to teach a child to throw a fit? To get mad when they don't get their way? To become grouchy when they need to eat? When's the last time you taught a child that? You don't have to teach them, it's part of their nature. No, the Bible says it comes through the Father. Oh, yeah, yeah. We better speak the truth, brethren. We're all born into, the Bible calls it Adam's family. <laughs> the Adam's family. Da -da -da -da. That's why Jesus said, you got to get out of that family. You got to be born again. <laughs> got to come into my family. You got to get born into my family. And you become a child of God. You must be twice born. 
to get into heaven. Born the first time into Adam's family, family that fell into sin, a family that is bound for hell, the only way to get out is to be born a second time and you will be reborn into Christ's family. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Not full of wrath and judgment, but full of grace and truth. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. That's what grace means. Jesus is full of giving you what you don't deserve. That's what He has for you. Even after you're saved, even if you're a 50-year Christian, you still aren't getting what you deserve. This helps, you know, keep perspective. You know, sometimes, you know, things go wrong in your life and you begin to feel as though, you know, God isn't treating you fairly. Don't ever ask for fair. Don't ever ask for justice. Just give me justice. If you ask for that, don't let me be standing near you, okay? There might be a fault line that you don't know about that you'll fall into. You know, don't ask for justice. Don't ask for what you deserve. And so we go through all sorts of terrific problems. Some of us right now going through tremendous anxieties, worries, problems, stresses, illnesses. But you know what? When you get a grip on grace, you understand, you know, (laughs) praise God, I'm not getting what I deserve. This is bad, yes, but this is still not hell. This is not what I deserve. God loves me full of grace and full of what? Truth. The truth is found in Jesus Christ nowhere else. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth has set you free. What is he saying? You got to know me. I'm the way, the truth, the life. If you want to know what is truth. You know, that's it's so funny. Pilate had Jesus standing right there. And what did he ask Jesus? What is truth? And you know, the Bible says Jesus didn't answer him. You know why? Because truth was standing right in front of him. And he couldn't see it. And that's the problem with a lot of people today is Jesus Christ can be presented right to them and they can't see. He is the truth. Because they don't have eyes. Pilate, he's standing right in front of him. What do you mean? What is truth? He's right there. The Word became flesh, dwelled among us. We beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. You know, the glory of Jesus Christ, when we see Him coming again soon, when He returns, it's going to be awesome. You get a sneak peek at it. The first chapter of Revelation, there's a description of what Jesus looks like now. And it's awesome. But you know what? That's not His real glory. Don't confuse that with His real glory. His real glory... The thing that just blows you away is His grace and His truth. That's the greatest revelation of God's glory. John bore witness of Him. Verse 15 says, crying out, saying, This is He of whom I said He comes after Me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before Me. You see, there's a real hierarchy in in these Israeli families. If you were older, if you were elder than someone else, you automatically had to defer to the person who was older than you. Not necessarily a wise thing. Many times those that are elder than you may not be wiser than you. They might not be more spiritually mature than you. Don't confuse gray hair with godliness. Or no hair with godliness. Or lots of hair. Look at the heart. So here is the older cousin, John, saying, I'm older than he is chronologically on earth, but he is greater than I am. Why? Because he existed before I did. John is recognizing this is the one who has a life, the very life of God who existed in eternity as God the Son. Verse 16, for of its fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. The Greek here is cool. 
It says, in grace heaped upon grace. Of his fullness, we have all received. Speaking to Christians, there is a fullness in Christ. Uh, Millie saying last night at our Christmas Eve service, she's saying, uh, 10, was it 10,000 joys? When you come into the family of Christ, you just begin to see his fullness. And you spend the rest of your life plunging the depths of his fullness. Fullness that can meet your emotional needs. Fullness to meet your financial needs. Fullness to meet your spiritual needs. Fullness to meet the loneliness in your heart. Jesus Christ, of his fullness we have all received and grace heaped upon grace. I see this huge dump truck of grace and the Lord comes and he says, where do you want it? And he dumps it on our house and it buries your house under a heap of grace. That's the way we live in Christ. Grace upon grace. Well, is he accurately representing God? The next verse says you better believe it. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, second time it's mentioned in just a few verses here, were realized through Jesus Christ. Man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. The disciples said one day to Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, it would be enough. That's all we need. Just show us the Father. And Jesus says, basically, man, guys, have I been with you all this time and you still say, show us the Father? Don't you know if you've seen me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father? The Son of God, Jesus Christ, has explained what God is like who God is, what God has for you, what God wants for your life. Jesus explains God. We don't have to look at a beautiful sunset and say, I think I understand God. We don't have to look at nature and say, I think I understand God. We can look at Jesus Christ and the portrait of God is in His Son whom He sent so that we wouldn't have to guess. Oh, I wonder what God thinks about me. I wonder if God loves me. I wonder if God cares for me. We can know for sure. All you have to do is know Jesus and you know the Father. All you have to do is know Him. Getting back to verse 9, it says, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. The world was made through Him and the world did not know Him. Wouldn't it be tough if for some reason you, your children did not recognize you? Somehow they had some kind of amnesia or something and, and they didn't know who you were. You walked into the house and maybe they even were fearful of you. Perhaps some of you grandparents can relate to that. You have grandchildren that you don't see very frequently. And you know how awkward it can be when you come into the, make the long journey and you come into the house and, and the parents are coaching the kids, go up and hug grandpa. <laughs> the kids are scared and, who's that? That's your grandpa. Hug him. Oh. I mean, it sort of makes you feel bad, doesn't it? Makes you long for the day when maybe televisions will have video screens. Wouldn't that be awful most of the time? Though? You could communicate. Keep your face in front of... But can you imagine the Creator of the whole universe, the One who created the world, the One who's created every one of us, who loves us so richly, who loves us so deeply, He came to, to us and we didn't know Him. He came into the world. And the world didn't know Him. He came to His very own and His own rejected Him. It's sad. But you know what makes Him glad? Is most of the hearts in here today. Because you have received Him. You have come to know Him. And though you have not even seen Him, Yet you love Him. Oh, how He joys in that. How He rejoices in you. 
How satisfying it is for him to know that his mission on earth has brought you to heaven. That his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection has transformed your life. This Christmas thing is not something out there that we look at and observe. It's actually something we participate in because Christmas isn't over till Jesus returns. The work of Christmas was not Mary delivering a baby. It wasn't a labor and delivery thing. The work of Christmas is still going on today. And tomorrow and the next day, and as long as Jesus hasn't yet returned, the gift is still in the manger. The gift is still at the foot of the cross. And whosoever will can come and can partake of the bread of life and have the gift of God, which is eternal life.
There are many cases of delivery delays, lost, or damaged CDs right before or after Christmas due to the increase in packages during the holidays. We predict that deliveries during that time may not go as smooth as non-holiday season. If you did not receive your CD, please contact our office right away to receive a replacement copy. The number is 602-866-8999. Thank you. Following is a program on the Sermon on the Mount. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with the Sermon on the Mount. In our previous broadcast, we studied the command written in the Old Testament, You shall not murder. The Pharisees and the Sadducees interpreted this command literally. As long as a person did not physically kill anyone, then they have kept the law of God. However, Jesus teaches that even if you have hatred in your hearts for anyone, it's the same as committing murder. In the scriptures, Jesus tells us to go and reconcile with those people right away. Today we will study and discuss the topic of adultery and divorce. We will study how Jesus taught the people who wrongly interpreted the commands regarding these issues to follow the right way. Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 through 32 states, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than to have your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The Jewish people at that time, because of the teachings of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, knew that one of the commandments given by God, which was the seventh commandment, was, You shall not commit adultery. Just like the commandment, You shall not commit murder, they felt that if you do not physically commit the act, then they were doing the right thing by keeping the law of the commandments. However, Jesus states in verse 28 that if you already looked at another woman with lustful intent, then you had already committed adultery with her in your heart. This means that adultery is not only a physical urge that a person acts upon, but adultery is also thinking about it because there is intent in your heart. Jesus is not teaching anything that is different from the teachings of the Old Testament. In the Ten Commandments, the last commandment states to not covet your neighbor's wife. This means to not even think about her in your heart. Adultery starts in the mind. That's why Jesus said, with lustful intent. Adultery that starts in the mind can advance itself to seeing and hearing things that can lead someone to commit the actual physical act. In the next verse, Jesus says to tear out your eyes and cut off your hands if it causes you to sin. This verse is not telling us to literally tear out our eyes and cut off our hands, but if there is something that we see that may lead us to commit adultery, do anything that you can to avoid seeing those things. If a certain place that you visit can cause you to be tempted and commit the sin of adultery, it is better for you to not visit that place. The scripture tells us to avoid the sites and places that can cause you to commit adultery. By doing this, you won't carry the weight of sin and have your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus goes on to teach the concept of divorce. Verse 31 states, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This law comes from the book of Deuteronomy, also referred to as the law of Moses. It was wrongly interpreted by the Sadducees, who taught that whoever wanted to obtain a divorce from his wife could do so just by giving her a certificate of divorce. 
They thought that as long as their certificate was handed out, the husband can divorce his wife for any reason. They justified this by pointing out that it was the law of Moses written in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24. Regarding this topic, Jesus taught that whoever deserts his wife with no grounds for divorce causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. When you look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, you will be able to understand what this means in more detail. The verse depicts the scene when the Pharisees are asking Jesus the topic of divorce. In chapter 19, verse 3, Pharisees come up to Jesus to test him with a question. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? They are trying to ask him, what then would be the grounds for divorce? Jesus answers them by teaching them what a marriage is supposed to be in the first place. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is going back to the book of Genesis to teach us the importance of marriage. A marriage is between one male and female, and they shall leave their parents to become one flesh. God paired the man and the woman to become husband and wife. However, marriage is not only a marriage between the husband and the wife, it is a promise that they made in front of God who created them and paired them as husband and wife. That means that we cannot separate ourselves when God is the one who joined us together. Divorce is not permissible. The Pharisees were interested in what the reasons could be to obtain a divorce. But Jesus taught them about the concept of marriage to explain that God does not want us to get a divorce. After listening to Jesus, the Pharisees then asked, Why then did Moses give the law for a man to hand his wife a divorce notice and send her away? They are asking this as if the command was from Moses himself. Jesus answered them in this way, Moses gave you permission to divorce your wives because you are so hard to teach. It was not God's intent for us to get divorced. It was because our human hearts are so hardened that the permission was given. The Pharisees were not interested in the meaning of God's law, nor were they the least bit interested in what the Bible had to teach them. Based on the way they asked Jesus and their attitudes, we can see that the Pharisees were only interested in the reasons to justify the reasons for divorce and the justification for handing out the divorce certificates. In conclusion, they were only interested in following the law in their own distorted way. The Sadducees and the Pharisees thought that committing adultery was only by the physical act. However, Jesus taught us that thinking about it and envisioning it in your minds is also an act of adultery. Leaving your wife for no justifiable reason is also an act of adultery. And anyone who should marry that wife would also become an adulterer. This is because God joined a husband and wife in marriage and divorce is not something that God will recognize. As for us, even though we do not commit an act of adultery, if we also even think about it or envision it in our minds, we are no better than the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Not to mention, if we also think about divorce and try to think of ways to make it justifiable in order to obtain a divorce, that also makes us no better than the Pharisees. In the world we live in today, many people are getting further and further away from the will of God regarding divorce and adultery. They want to fulfill something within themselves and commit adultery in the name of love. If they think that they are not being satisfied enough or fulfilled with happiness and joy in their marriage, then they feel that the only other option is a divorce. These people do not know that God is our creator and that God is the one who joined a man and a woman together to be husband and wife in marriage. I hope that we 
who are God's children, do not look towards the will of the world, but at the will of God. I hope that we do not only show by our actions that we are His children, but that we also live by His will in our hearts. Today, we learned about adultery and divorce according to the teachings of Jesus. For our next broadcast, we will learn about what Jesus teaches us about oaths. Thank you for listening, and please join me next time as we continue our series with the Sermon on the Mount. It was because of the Pope of Rome that a pagan holiday of December 25th was changed to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. But I'm sure all of you are noticing how the celebration of Christmas is changing with the times. 
Satan does everything in his power to stop us from knowing the truth. Instead of remembering the birth of Jesus, he places Santa Claus as a figure that all the little children celebrate. Instead of thanking God for the grace that he has shown us by giving us life, we are busy shopping from mall to mall for all the presents that we will be giving. After the gradual change of Christmas, it has changed so much today that it is hard to even call the day Christmas. In most of the store ads and commercials, instead of using the phrase Merry Christmas, they now use Happy Holidays. However, the word holiday does not portray the day as a holy day. Even though the world around us is changing this way, we must always remember Jesus Christ and the real meaning of Christmas. Have you ever looked up in the sky to look at the stars? Have you ever stood and looked out at nature so big and magnificent? It is He who created the universe. The Almighty Jesus Christ came into this world to save us from our sins. Christmas is a day that we celebrate His coming. Emmanuel means God with us. We were not able to be with God because of our sins from the Old Testament days. However, our Almighty God came from the high heavens to this world to save us. He came in a human form and was born in a stable. Jesus who came to this world as a king and a priest was not born in a castle or a temple, but was born in a manger. He came to us in the humblest way. He came to be with us, to become a sacrifice, to save us from our sins. We must remember that because Jesus came into this world, we can be born again. This is a day that we should remember how we can be close to God through Jesus' sacrifice. Don't you think that Christmas should be a day where we remember Jesus' love and sacrifice for us? A pastor asked me once, Will you thank God only on Thanksgiving? Will you remember Jesus only on Christmas? That's right. We should not only remember the Lord during Christmas, but remember His love and sacrifice every day. Jesus came to save us from our sins and to again give us a relationship with God. I hope that we all remember the true meaning of Christmas as we give our hearts to Jesus Christ. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. I hope to see all of you again next week. Have a wonderful Christmas, and God bless. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here, until the Son of God appear. Oh, come now, day spring from on high in course that in First, the gloomy clouds of night in death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to.
Well...